Everyone have a good week? Great week? A God-filled, God-blessed week? Whether you felt it or not, God was watching you, and he was with you. You may have been struggling, you may have had anxiety, you may have been frustrated at life, you may have had challenging issues. God was aware of everything that was going on. It's tough sometimes for us to put our complete trust in God, isn't it? It is for me. As we look through the Old Testament, we can be confident in knowing that God is aware of the Israelites' struggles and that they had the same struggles that you and I do. Their inability sometimes to totally give over their sense of trust and their total and complete dependence upon God throughout the Old Testament. We look at it now because we have the record of God's word in front of us, and we can look at the old, sometimes the Jews and go, what was their problem? Why could, Didn't they see God open up the Red Sea? Didn't they see the manna fall down? Didn't they see where God provided the water for them when, when they were thirsty? Didn't they see? Didn't they see? Didn't they see? Why do they still lack complete trust in God? We have the same problem. We have the record of God opening the Red Sea, of God providing the manna, of God providing water, of God redeeming his people and saving them from the enemies. We have the record of Christ coming and dying for you and I and redeeming us back to God in that relationship. It's so precious. And yet we also sometimes lack complete trust. Maybe that's part of our culture today. Maybe that's part of where we are and always fighting about political things and which group is right, which group is wrong, and which view is better than another. And don't want to really trust somebody because you're afraid that they're going to get you or that they're going to let you down. We look here in 1 Samuel chapter 8 today. As the nation of Israel asked Samuel for a human king. Up till now, God had been their king, right? He had been the one leading them through the wilderness. He'd been the one giving them the promised land. He'd been the one defeating the enemies. And now they're at the point where they say, you know what? We need a human king. Seems kind of silly, doesn't it? Had God ever let them down? No. Had he ever proven himself unfaithful or untrustworthy? No. And yet here, the Israelites find themselves on the back end of a a, a defeat at the hands of the Philistines and then having the ark taken from them, sent back. And then Samuel's there. Last week we talked about how he's leading them in this fresh start. You can now start anew. Just come to God in repentance you can start your life anew. You don't, you, yes, you failed before. Yes, you fell into sin before. You can start anew, start afresh. What are you going to do, people? Well, we'd like a human king, please. <laughs> Samuel's got to be kicking himself. Like, did you not just witness and see what God had done in your midst? Learning to trust God is tough. I'll admit that. It is tough. Do we have any rock climbers in here? 
Anybody who's been, I know Max is in the back with Zach. Nobody else, just okay. You've seen videos of these guys getting rappel off the rocks. And they've got their harness on, right? And they're, this one little piece of thread is going through and tied around the rock. And what do they have to do? They have to lean back against the rock face and then jump to go down, then catch themselves. And they're trusting a little pulley or somebody at the top that goes, belay on. And they're trusting that this guy's got the rope around his waist and he's going to catch them as they jump back in the air and they're going to catch the rock. When we were working in North Korea, I had firsthand experience with this. Not climbing rocks, climbing up a 75-foot wind turbine. I'm sitting at the top of this wind turbine, and my job was I had this massive torque wrench, and we were securing bolts on this three sections of this wind turbine, the crane that we were putting in place. And I've got my little harness on, and I've got two little clips with dental floss attached to my, my harness. And I had to lean back and crank that bolt Trusting this little dental floss was with these little clips, these D-ring clips was going to hold me on that wind turbine as the wind is blowing. But I was safe and secure because I had my hard hat on. If something happened, I was going to be okay. I had my hard hat on. That was tough. That's the closest thing I've ever had to experience to total and complete trust in this little spongy rope that was holding me onto that wind turbine. And that's where Israel finds himself today in this passage. They're being asked to trust God for everything, for all of their needs, for all of their desires, for all of their sustenance, for all of who they are as a people group. And they come before Samuel and said, we'd like a human king, please. they'd miss the point of what God had been trying to teach them. That God was supposed to be their true king, that he desired to be their true king. And they rejected his desire for them. Now, rejection itself is not a... uh, Rejection of God is not something that's... What's the word I'm looking for? Uncommon? There's really, you think of somebody who's non-religious, somebody who doesn't believe in God, who doesn't believe in the organized church or faith, this faith movement that we have here. They reject God outright. We just, God, we just don't believe you. We see all the stuff around us. We see the beautiful beauty in nature. We see your hand at work, and we choose to reject outright. And then there's the other classification of people who reject God. Those who are the religious people. And we say with our mouths that we really trust God for everything. We trust him with our health. We trust him with our finances. We trust him with our future. We trust him with the here and the now. But then our actions don't match up with our words. And we don't let him really be a part of who we are in our everyday decisions. Thereby showing the world that we don't really trust See, we're just like the Israelites. Israel wanted God as their safety net. God, we believe you. 
God, we have the Torah. We, have, we worship you. We have all these songs. And you're our safety net to catch us if and when something happens. But on the day-to-day decisions we have to make in life, we don't really want to put our complete trust in you. God, you're okay being that net down below is going to catch us at the very last moment before we hit ground. But everything else is up to me. First Samuel chapter 8. Let's take a look. Verses 4 through 8. Look at the choice that the Israelites made here. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Seems like Samuel's sons had a similar problem as what Eli's did in a couple chapters earlier. And they said, Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. We want to be just like everybody else. But this thing displeased Samuel, says in verse 6. Displeased him when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. See, initially, it seems like their, affront, their request would be a personal affront to God. And they'd forgotten that God had already promised them, I will give you a king. Not yet. You're not ready for this human king. And they're trying to beat God to the punch. They're trying to say, God, we know what's best for us. We know what's good. We know what's best for our people and for me personally. We know you said you're going to give us one down the road. But we want to, we see, we want to be just like everybody else. Samuel senses something deeper in the request. And so he goes to the Lord in prayer. And verse 7 says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people or listen to the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you. Remember, Samuel was the judge. Samuel was the one going around and and sharing with people and letting them know this is what God says. He's leading them in worship. He's leading them in the offerings. He's judging them, helping them to know what it is that God wants for them. And God says, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. From being king over them. If you don't have that verse highlighted in your, in your Bible, or if you have an underline, that's a, such a sad verse. You need to highlight that. Because that really is the crux of the matter. Samuel, they have not rejected you as the prophet. They have not rejected you as the judge. They have not rejected you. They are rejecting me as their king. They're putting their trust and their hope and their future in what they can provide for themselves. Verse 8 says, according to all the deeds that they have done from this day, brought them up out of Egypt and even to now, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. See, God understands where the hearts of the people are. God totally gets it. There's no fooling God. He totally sees past their God, we think you'd just be good. We want to remove this pressure off your shoulders. Sim, we want to remove this pressure off your shoulders and take this away. Let you focus on leading us in worship and we'll serve this king. God knew what was in the heart of hearts. God knew. They were fooling themselves if they thought they could fool God. And that's us too. See, this request that they make represents a complete lack of trust in God. And satisfaction in him. When God says, I want to be their king. 
Be satisfied in me. Find your completeness in me. Because one day, the king is going to come. The king that I'm going to set up on this earth, who's going to come and forgive you of your sins. I'm going to come and set up my throne. Until that time, serve me and find your satisfaction and your fulfillment in me. But the people jumped again by several thousand years. See, they, they'd never trusted God enough to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do your will, but I'm going to let you do, worry about everything else. God, I'm going to follow you and let you take care of all the details. God, I trust you with my future. I'm going to walk in your way and let you work all the details in between. A and Z. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to put our complete and our whole trust in you and him. And let him work on people's hearts. Let him work in the details of our lives. Are you frustrated with your spouse? Frustrated with your kids? Frustrated with your job? Frustrated with whatever's going on around you? Lay it at God's feet. Lay it completely at God's feet. And let him become the teacher. Let him become the one who shapes and molds things into his path. You know, whenever I've gotten in trouble, when I've tried to wrest control out of God's hands, that ever happened to y'all? When you say, God, I trust you, but I'm going to take control over here. God, I, I trust you with my future, but I'm going to take control over here. And what happens? It never goes out. It never happens like we plan it out, does it? Best laid plans of mice and men and David do not come to fruition if they are not committed to God. And not thrown back in God's hands. Think about the Israelites. In the desert, they lacked food, they lacked water, they lacked safety, and God provided for each and everything they needed. Without fail. Without fail. And yet, they rejected Him. Again, we go back to two different two ways to reject God, reject Him outright, or to say you follow Him, but then not really depend on Him at all. Today, I hope that you will come to God saying, God, I will follow you, and I will trust you, and I will throw it at your feet. Whatever issue is going on in your life right now, that whatever is problem that is weighing on your mind, you know that God already knows your problems. God knows my problems. He's waiting for us to come to him. Why do we have legal contracts with one another? Because we don't trust one another, right? When we set up Gina's Place in China, our restaurant that we ran in China, there were several of us that threw money into it to, to get it started. And one of our teammates, eventual teammates, said, we don't need any kind of contracts. Just everybody pull your money in there and just trust one another. I said, we said, no. I love you. I believe in you. But I don't really trust you 100%. So we came up with a legal contract, as legal as it could be in China, and said, this is who gave what, this is what it's to be used for, 
And if something happens and we dissolve the restaurant, this is what's going to happen with the leftover profits, blah, 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 blah. So that there was no question in the matter. Not that I didn't love them. Not that I didn't like them as a believer. But we know that money corrupts and money will always get in the way of people. And so you want to always... Because we, they're human. They're not God. And it's hard for us as people to trust one another. And therefore, when I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and saying, can I really trust that person? We're then applying that same theory, the same philosophy to God who has never proven himself to be dishonest. He's never proven himself to be untrustworthy. And yet we continue to do that. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. How does God want us to come to him? In faith. He wants us to come and throw ourselves at his feet and trust him. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Impossible. When I come to him with my own abilities and my desires and my talents, do you think God is impressed? No. If I come to him just that way, but without faith, what does God say? Your faith is worthless. James, Mike's been teaching about that in our Bible study hour. If you say you have faith, but you don't have works, your faith is worthless. Let me show you, let me show you my faith by my works. Let me show you my faith by what I'm doing. My faith is strong because I'm trusting in the one who's never proven himself faithless or untrustworthy. When we come to God without faith, we fail. See, Israel wanted a king that they could see, that they could touch, and they, that they could control, Right? They, why, why had they set up back in the, in the desert? They set up the golden statue. Moses was up on Mount Horeb for a long time, getting the ark, getting the tablets, those things, from God. While he was gone, the nation of Israel got worried. They saw the clouds. They heard the thunder and the rumbles. And they told Aaron, set us up a a golden statue, so that we might have something to worship, something we can feel, something we can see, something we can touch. But God is not such a God. The God we serve is not one that you can see, you can feel, you can touch with my physical hands. He is one who permeates our environment. He is one who lives within me, his Holy Spirit, indwelling me, He is one who infused in me the righteousness of Christ. And I'm so thankful for that. That he is not some statue. That he's not some picture on a wall or just a crucifix I look at to get hope. But that he is among us this morning. He is in our midst. He's in that seat right next to you. He's in that seat behind you. He's under your seat. He's above you. He's sitting in your lap. You're sitting in his lap. He is in this room. That's our God. Not some statue. 
not some picture. He's Almighty God. But what does God do when the nation of Israel asks him, asks them for a king? He gives them just what they want, doesn't he? He says, give them what they want. Back in verse Back in verse 7, he says, The Lord says to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people. Listen to them, for they're not rejecting you. Give, go ahead and give them a king. Go ahead and give them what they asked for. He says, Yes. You know, sometimes God's blessings to us are when he says no. What happens to the nation of Israel? We, we know the story. If you've read any beyond there, you know that God gives them Saul. He starts out okay, ends quite badly. But God says, you want a king? Fine. I'll give you a king. I'll give you what you asked for. Sometimes the greatest blessings we have in life, when we pray to God and say, God, give me this, give me this, give me this, is when God says, No. Or he's just silent. And you're wondering, God, why is this? Why are you not answering me? Sometimes God's judgments are when he says, yes. I'll give you what you want, what you ask for. Think of the lottery winner. Some of us have played the lottery and asked, God, let me win this $500 million jackpot. No, with no hands on, I don't want to admit that I played the lottery. <laughs> Okay, Eliana made it. She played the lottery. Okay. What, you know that what happens after somebody wins a lottery? You know what the average number of years is before that person is broke again? It's about 10 years. Those multi, multi, multi mega million dollar winners, what, they go on, they blow the money in 10 years and they are broke, broker than they were to begin with. These sports figures that we idolize and we're getting ready to watch and go and worship every Sunday afternoon for the next 16 weeks, they make millions. How many of them, when they leave football, they leave baseball, they leave basketball, they leave their sport, how soon is it before they are just broke? Because they've not learned to manage their money well. They've not learned, they've not learned to budget. They've not learned the lessons. They just, I got a paycheck. I'm going to spend it and waste it. And they're wasted. They're, they're gone. God, I just want to be an NFL star. Okay, here you go. God, I want this big house. There you go. God, I want this promotion. Okay, there you go. See, sometimes what seems to be a blessing can end up being a curse. You ever thought about that? God, I really want... This job. I really, really want this promotion. God, you don't know how bad I want this. And God's there going, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. No, you don't. No, you don't. Fine. Here's your promotion. And you go from working 40 hours a week to 80 hours a week. And the time you can commit to studying God's word and getting to know him, time you can spend in your family and with your church and, and participating in different ministries goes... Because you got the promotion. You got that job. God, I really, 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 really want to marry that girl. She is so cute. She's so hot. Or he is so cute. He is so hot. God, if I could just 
get married. If I could just marry this person, that's all I need in life, right? No, you don't. No, you don't. Learn to be satisfied in me. We have a great friend of ours over in China. She's nine days younger than me. So she'll be 50 in January. Still single. And she is able to do so much in the ministry of God because she doesn't have a family. And for a while, not that she doesn't want to get married, and she said many times, if God brings a man along, I'm all for it. I would love to get married. But in the meantime, while she's waiting, she is able to focus on what God wants her to do and be involved in ministries in ways that we couldn't. In ways that we couldn't. Because we had a family and things and other needs to care about. She could totally focus all of her energies on following God differently than we followed God. Not that a family is bad. Not that a family is not bad. It's just different. Yet if she had focused all of her energies and said, God, I need a husband. 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 God, give me a husband. God, give me a husband. God, give me a husband. Where's her energy going into? Is it in serving the Lord and trusting Him and learning to rely on Him? Or is it in looking for that other one? Sometimes what seems to be a blessing and could end up being a curse. In fact, Romans one twenty six, God says, For those whose desires are not His... He says, for this reason, God delivered them over to the disgraceful passions. Those whose desires are not aligned with God. God says, no, I'm going to judge you. Giving you over to yourself. Giving you over to your passions. Giving you over to desire. You really want that thing? Fine, have it. You really, really want that thing more than me? Fine, have it. Let's see how you do. And then when you get to the bottom of your rope, where's God? He's waiting for you to turn to him. He's waiting for us still. See, some of God's greatest mercies to us come in the form of unanswered prayers because the greatest blessing God could ever give is his ability for us to be happy in him alone. When I find my joy, when I find my happiness, when I find my being in him, all the other peripheral things, are not nearly as important, are they? Israel thought, we have to be just like all the other nations to be happy. We think we have to have this statue. We have to have the ark has to be right here where we can see it, where we can touch it. And they've forgotten that God wants them to be happy in him alone. That is the true joy. We find our joy in Christ. We find our joy in God. All these other things that weigh in our minds, that keep us so locked down, they become not nearly as important. When I come to church in the morning, on Sunday mornings, I'm so worried about all the little details. I can't worship God like I do when I come and say, God, I want to give everything to you today. I want to honor you today. My words, my actions, my thoughts, my playing, everything ought to be done to bring glory and honor to you. Take everything out of my mind today when I come to church. Because... I want to find my joy, my happiness, my peace in him, in him alone. 
And Satan's the one who wants to distract us. Satan is the one who wants to make us think that if you don't have all these other things, if you don't have every T crossed and I dotted, Satan is the one who wants us to think that you can't be happy with all these other, without all these other things. And God's there going, here I am. I want to be your king. Lay it all at my feet and trust me with it. See, we lust after so many other things that we want to be our king instead of God. The Greek word for that is epithumia, right? Y'all knew that, right? That's your, Dave's going, no, I didn't know that. That's your lesson for the day. Epithumia means lust. How is that used in scripture? Think about it. When we lust after other things instead of desiring God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. The desires of the flesh, the epithumia, that lust for the desires of the flesh those things that draw us away from God, those things that distract us from what's truly important. Romans one twenty four says, Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to the impurity and to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Those lusts, those things which we so desire more than God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. That which we love above God, which we desire more than we desire God. Hebrews 13, keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor abandon you. What is it in our lives that we desire, that we lust after more than God? That we are setting up as a king. That is we are, just like Israel, setting that up as the king in our lives. Whatever you desire more than God is your king. Do you desire your family more than God? Do you desire your education more than God? Do you desire your job more than God? Do you desire your retirement account? Do you desire that health insurance? What do you desire more than God? That is your king. And God says... To us, as he said to Samuel, their desire for a king is not a rejection of you, but a rejection of me. And so he gave them a king. Look in God's response. He gave them a king. He gives them Saul. But you see, in this passage that we're going to read over the next couple of weeks, Saul is being set up in contrast to the true king. Who's going to come? Jesus. This is being set up. He said, you're asking for this human king, but I've got this greater king waiting down the road. You're asking for this human king who's going to provide your needs right here and right now, but I've got so much better waiting. He's setting him up as a contrast. Look at some of the contrasts. Saul, on one hand, fails to deliver for the people. Jesus would come and fulfill, fulfill in magnificent ways. Saul started off well, ended awful. Jesus ended well on the cross. Saul thought of his own interests, but Jesus thought primarily of others and gave us an example for that. Saul made Israel his servants. Jesus came to be the servant of all. 
Saul, through his sinful and selfish choices, caused many to die. And yet Jesus, through his loving choices, would cause many to live. All that turned to him. Israel had to die, and many in Israel had to die for Saul's sins. And yet Jesus would die for ours. Saul was harsh and unforgiving with those who disappointed him. But Jesus, his subjects disappointed and rebelled against him. Give us Barabbas, they said. They ran away when he was arrested. And he laid down his life for them. Saul took from the people. Jesus gave all that he had for you and I. That's the king I want to serve. That's the king I want to commit my life to. That's the king I want to say, God, I trust you with all that I have. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my health. I trust you with my kids and their futures. That's hard. You parents who have been there, you understand what I'm saying. It's hard to trust God with somebody else, with their future and their decisions. It's hard. Now I know my parents, why they were pulling out their hair. As I was growing up and they saw some of the decisions I was making, they're going, David, don't go down that road. Don't date that girl. Date that girl. <laughs> and now I know that I, I need to trust God and say, God, I give you my kids. I'm going to give you my grandkids one day. I'm going to trust them in your hands. God, I trust you with my wife. I trust you with my parents and my in-laws. Because you love them more than I do. I trust you with my job. I trust you with my future. I trust you with the unrest that's going on in our society and in our culture and in our, our nation and around the world. God, I trust you. I lay it at your feet. Because I know and understand that without faith it is impossible to please God. See, money says, when we put our trust in money, money says, please me, obey me, and I will guarantee you happiness. Marriage says, find me and you'll be happy, right? Family success, fame, independence. They all promise happiness and fulfillment. Porn, alcohol, pot, and other abuses promise to make your immediate problems go away and bring you joy. But only God truly can. Only God truly can bring you true joy and true happiness. All the rest of those things are imposters. Not that a job is bad, not that a marriage is bad, not that family or independence or all those things are bad. Those are gifts that God gives us. But we find our true joy, our true happiness, our true fulfillment only when we lay ourselves at his feet and trust him. Tim Keller says this. I mentioned him last week. Redeemer Church in New York City says, Jesus is the only Lord who, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely. And if you fail him, will forgive you eternally. What an awesome statement. Jesus is the only Lord, if you receive him, will fulfill you completely. Lay yourself at his feet. Let him fulfill you. But if you fail him, he's going to forgive you eternally. See, when you become a child of God, all those things, those mess-ups that we've done, all those, those times of trusting others, of trusting in those who failed us and putting our trust in whatever it is, when you put your trust, you become a child of God, all those things 
diminish in importance. And we learn to trust that God is going to forgive us and forgive us and forgive us eternally. They're not held against us any longer. Praise God for that. That my sins of the past are no longer held against me. But we all have to choose a king. In fact, even by not choosing a king, you've made a choice. Do you know that? Some people want to sit on the fence and kind of ride back and forth. They're sitting on the fence. I don't really want to commit all over here. I'm not, I'm not bad enough to go over here. I'm not good. And I don't want to career, all commit everything to go on God's side. I'm just going to sit on the fence for a while. You know who owns the fence? Satan. By not making a choice, you've already made a choice. Choose the king today. Choose almighty God today. Satan set up, sets up all these imposter kings, all these human kings, all these things that we tempt us to trust in. And yet God is the only one that we can find f- true fulfillment in, in our lives. God's plan seems reckless. Throw it all at his feet. Matthew 5, verses 3 through 11, Blessed are the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the mourning. Blessed are those who meek. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Really? Those are things that make us happy? Those are really what God says, if you trust me and these become your hallmark, that's where you're going to find true happiness? Yes. It is not fit with our human reasoning, our human conditioning. But God never promised that his ways would be our way, that, that his mind would be humanly rational. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who, happy you will be when you admit that you are spiritually poor. Blessed are those who mourn over sin. Blessed are those who are meek and come to God humbly. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful who see, who are merciful with others. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, who seek to find ways to make peace with others and don't hold grudges and bitterness. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for my sake, he says. Not because you've just made a mistake. Then you will find true joy, true joy, true happiness. To follow this king, we must step out in faith. Absolutely no conditions and no exceptions. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Throw yourself at his feet today. Would you do that? Would you honor him and say, God, I'm, today I'm willing to trust you. Life around me is difficult. I've got relationships that are going on that are frustrating. Job is frustrating. Health is frustrating. Whatever is frustrating. Today, before you leave here, would you just throw it at his feet and say, God, I don't know how you're going to take care of this. I don't know how you're going to handle this but I'm trusting that you will. I want to lay it at your feet and say, God, I trust you today. I want to trust you with my life. I want to trust you with my problems. Trust you with my future. Trust you with my spouse. Trust you with my decisions. Trust you with my kids. Trust you with my grandkids and my great-grandkids. Trust you with everything. God, I trust you. Because I want you to be my king. Not these human imposters. 
Not these man-made things, but Almighty God. Lord Jesus, this morning as we conclude this time in your word, Lord, we all need to commit you and recommit you as king in our life. Knowing that the future is unsure, that we don't always know what's best. Lord, those things that I desire most may not be best for me. God, I ask this morning that you would, in your wisdom, let me know your mind, your heart. As the body of Christ here this morning, here at Mountain States, that you, Lord, you would lead us and guide us and direct us in your path as we trust you with all that we are and all that all the we, we will be. Lord, we want to commit ourselves to you this morning and acknowledge that you are our king. You are the king. You are my king. You are my king. Before we sing this morning, just take a few moments, just you and God, and recommit yourself to him and acknowledge to him those areas in your life that you maybe have been holding on to a little too tight and commit them to him this morning and commit to making him king over your life as we pray.